Hello, I'm Ellie Harris. And I'm Mark Boucher. And welcome to Poking Books. A podcast where I introduce a mystery author who will explain their book through three books which influence that book. And somehow I have to guess what their book is about. And Ellie will know absolutely nothing about the author or their book until they sit down to record with us. Their name, what kind of book they've written, I will know nothing until they enter the studio. So Ellie, this is usually the bit where we try and explain the podcast Mm -hmm. and talk about it being a me introducing you to a mystery author and then bringing three books and saying, you know, they're trying to explain their book through three books and you're trying to guess what it's about. Correct. Instead of doing that, I thought you could tell us a charming story from your childhood. <laughs> okay. Um, I wh- actually had one in mind. Okay. Disciples. Oh, no. <laughs> so, in year four at primary school... Uh, we were coming up to the Easter play and I used to be, I used to love drama. I used to love being in the school place. It was great. I lived for it. And Miss Shawland, my year four teacher, turned around and said, Eleanor, which part would you like to play in the school, school Easter play? Which disciple would you like to be? And I turned around as a brazen seven-year-old or however old you are in, in year four and said, Miss Shawland, I don't want to be a disciple. I want to be Jesus. <laughs> and I remember that the, one of the teacher's sons who always got the main parts was set to be Jesus. Anyway, Miss Shawland went away and sure enough, I got given the part of Jesus and I was told to learn my lines over the weekend. But I remember thinking, oh, I can't really be bothered to do this. I'll, I'll wing it. I'm clearly I'm clearly Jesus. I don't need to learn my lines. Um, I, d- I didn't learn them and then I had to read off script. It was really embarrassing for the Easter play in front of the whole school. The thing that I find interesting is this story and also the name of the WhatsApp group that you have with your parents. That's, <laughs> that I'm not going to... This comes into the episode, so I'm not yes. going to reveal it yet. Um, it almost suggests that you're quite an egotistical person. <laughs> but yeah. are you? Um, it's not something I give much thought to, to be honest. I, I guess all the signs are pointing towards yes. I don't think you are. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe myself as that. The... The thing is, I think it's little things like that where you see something on the surface and if you start with that, you might think somebody is quite egotistical or full of themselves. But I don't. the way you sit there and listen to authors and are so interested in them, I don't think you are like that. Well, that's and, a good thing. Yeah. But it also, I think, is another reason why we don't start with the book. Because if you start with a book, you've already got all these, you know preconceptions, preconceived notions of what it might be about or what what that author might be like. Yeah, you're so right. Because if you start with saying like, oh, this is a book by so-and-so, and you're like, oh, I don't like that author, and it is a thriller, mm-hmm. oh, I hate those cheap, tacky airplane thrillers, mm-hmm. then you might turn off straight away. Yeah, close yourself off to stuff. Please don't turn yourselves off to me. I'm, I'm a lovely person, really. Yeah, you really are. I think that's a good little introduction. Should we go and meet John? I would love to meet John. Great. Let's go. Ellie, this is John. Hello, John. Nice to meet you. Hello there. Nice to meet you. So, I think let's go straight into a few facts. John. Dive in. Yes. Okay. You have some random facts. I do have some random facts. Excellent. Okay, random fact one. 
In the year 2000, I was voted most negative IT journalist in the Miller Freeman's P PR audit. And it was their guide to UK IT scribes entitled Know Your Journalists. Oh, okay. I'm not allowed to ask stuff, am I, after facts? No. No, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next, next fact. Okay, random fact number two. I took a three and a half year distance learning course on Native American shamanism with a Lakota Sioux. Okay. I can ask can, can facts, I, aren't they, those two? Can I ask what Lakota Sioux is? It's Sioux. a Native um, American tribe. Okay. So so the Sioux and Lakota is, is actually the, the place where okay. they are. So, but it was a distance learning course, so um, I wasn't there all the time. I actually went over and uh, met the person, and then they agreed, and then uh, sort of okay, yeah, bouts and boards. That makes sense. Okay, so random fact three: when I was twenty-five, I hadn't left the UK, but twenty-five years later, I had travelled to more than thirty countries. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay, first attempt. I think it started out as a blog and then became a book about travel and... Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the second fact, something about uh, a native tribe. There we go, that's all you're getting. A book that started with... A book that started, started out as a blog, a blog mm -hmm. and then was made into a book about travel, focusing on different tribes around the world. Fair enough. So... John, do you want to talk about your first book? Okay. So my first book that influenced uh, my book is Shadowland by Peter Straub. Okay. Do you know it? No, I don't. Oh, it's just a, oh, it's a glorious book. So um, what's can it I about? say about it? Yeah, what's it yeah. about for oh, the uninitiated, okay. uninitiated like yeah. Ellie yeah. and me? <laughs> well, Peter Straub's famous book is Ghost Story. Okay. And that was made into a film. And uh, But this is all about um, two boys in a school. So sort of contemporary in America. And one of them has um, an uncle who is the greatest magician in the world. And they go out to a house. And the house is called Shadowland. Mm -hmm. um, and the uncle is training the boy to be his follow-up to the greatest magician. Mm -hmm. And he takes his friend, who's quite poor, and takes him off for the summer. And as soon as the uncle meets this other boy, he drops his nephew and says, no, this boy is going to be the greatest magician the world has ever seen. Ooh. And then you get all the rivalry between them. Yeah. And he's training them. And the lovely thing about the book is the house itself you don't know whether it's magical or, you know, that they'll be in their room and out of the window they'll see mermaids on the lake mm -hmm. singing and, you know, they don't know if it's illusion or whether, you know. And uh, they'd go down to breakfast and there'd be a door that was previously shut and they'd go in and there'd be this enormous theatre and, you know, I mean, it's just that sort of book. That's and you don't know, and... yeah, you don't know whether it's real or it's imaginary or it's illusion or whatever. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Elena Harris. Are yes. you real or imaginary? <laughs> Who knows at this um, point? <laughs> they both they're both handy in different ways. They are. Um right. What do you reckon? Based on the dreamy world of Shadowland? Well, it sounds like an interesting book, and I'm going to look it up after this and possibly read it and add it to my reading list. Um 
Ah. Uh... Because you get four new books every reading list. I do. It's a really long list by this point. Um, I don't know. I think that it is... I'm going to move away from the internet blog thing. Uh, That's out the window now. Yeah, you you just tossed that out. I just tossed it out, you know. It's in the bin. It's done. It's toast. Um, I, I really like the idea of the magic and the illusion... So maybe your book is full of imagery, especially if you're well-travelled. Maybe it is a fictitious novel about... This is so hard. It doesn't get any easier (laughs) at all, every episode. A fictitious novel about uh, a a character who travels by means of magic. Does that make sense? No, I mean, you're yes. looking at me like it yeah, doesn't. I'm just a bit like. But maybe okay, great, so maybe the sort of magic? maybe the cat. Well, I don't know yet. I haven't got to that part. Okay, I'm still sorry, thinking I didn't about mean it. To but maybe, you. but maybe uh, I'm not there yet. I won't be there for a while. Um, but maybe he or she or they travel around to new countries. Maybe there are no borders, but they travel to all these new places via means of. No, no, no. What if they think they're actually travelling, but it's in their imagination? I don't want to do one of those things like they woke up and it was all a dream. I think it's real to them, but maybe it's... You know how Bernard's watch, he travelled around and stopped time, but no one knew, no one else knew about it. Maybe it's that kind of travelling. Do you see what I mean? No? <laughs> You're looking at me really confused. No, fine. It does. Mm-hmm. I was a bit like, so Bertram's what, Bert? Bernard's Watch. Do you not remember Bernard's Watch? Do you know Bernard's Watch? It was a children's television programme in the 90s or the 2000s. No, 90s probably. Um, And uh, he had a pocket watch. my childhood by the late 90s. I'm still going with mine. (laughs) He had a pocket watch that um, whenever he pressed the button, it stopped time around him so he could go and do stuff and complete tasks, do his homework. I mean, he did more exciting things than just doing his homework. What kind of child stops time to do their homework? But imagine what you could do. I'd be concocting an amazing excuse. Well, Um, you know, but but he could go and do lots of different things and travel to different places and no one else knew about it. So he was travelling and doing amazing things. Until he was suddenly 37. Until he was 37 and really old when he was actually 13, yes. Okay, so fictitious novel with a character. Really old when I've just had my thirty-sixth birthday. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't saying anything of the sort. A fictitious novel uh, with a character who travels to different faraway lands via some sort of magical force. Great. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Right. And what is our next book? John? Okay, the next influencing book is Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. It's essentially a book where. The opening of the book is set in the journals um, of a on a ship mm-hmm. in one, and then you go through, and then it gets halfway through that story, and then it jumps to into another story, mm-hmm. and it goes all the way through the stories, and then you get the closing half of the stories in the second half oh, of the book. So okay. you so you get to see, and everything's uh, connected, um, but you only see how it's connected when you get to the end. At the end. And they go, they start sort of um, about 300 years ago, Mm, I think. Yeah. Um, And then they go forward in history until it goes into the future. And then, of course, it goes back down again. Yeah, then this dystopian future. And then it goes all the way back and, uh, yeah, back to the 
sort of 300 years on the ship, sort of right. going off, exploring. Okay. The connections aren't entirely obvious. They're not quite as direct as... Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a very absorbing novel and good okay. for people with short attention spans who want to read a long book. Because it's broken up into small bite-sized yeah. chunks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So interesting form, I guess, with that book, playing yeah. with form and yeah. and time and yeah. place. How many characters are there in it? Lots. Ooh. I think we can say lots. I think there are about seven stories. Yeah, I think there's seven stories, okay. and and it goes through in order and then closes all the stories in the reverse order. So you, it's almost as if somebody's opened a book yeah. and placed all these books within on top of each other and then that's yeah. the order you read them in. Yeah, it's a really interesting way of approaching fiction, I think. Mm. You know, that, that sort of whole thing about... Um, it's a bit like um, Stephen King when he wrote It and he had mm. all the children and it gets to a certain point and then they jump... And then you go, oh, no, I want to know what happens to that. And then you have to wait till the end till they jump back and okay. things like that. Yeah. That really interests me in, you know, you know that, that sort of form. I think John's accidentally given you a, like, a, a bonus book. Um, a bonus book, yeah, a bonus with book, it. A bonus book. I like a bonus book. Yeah. I like a bonus book. <laughs> that was clever. I think it was really clever how you got that out of him, Ali. Well, well done. me and my wily ways. Okay. Talking of which, what's the book about? Um, I've already had three books. What more do you want? <laughs> more, more. Give me more. Um, I think it's really interesting the idea of different form and stories, and and maybe it's not about one protagonist. It's about multiple characters in your book, and oh, there's so many different ideas running through my head. It's really Good. hard to Pick pinpoint one. anything. Um, <laughs> You're so mean. Um, You're like a girl trying to like capture butterflies over the neck in a hurricane. It's accurate of both this moment now and my life. <laughs> yes, <laughs> good. Um, I'm still going to stick with fiction. And perhaps, yeah, I think multiple characters whose lives we're following and maybe they're in different places around the world or in different worlds and there's something unifying that connects them at some point maybe that's magic or illusion or some sort of experience that they're having i'm still going to stick with like there's a magical element to it but i think there's a connection of characters around different worlds i like that that was good Mm -hmm. that was as much uh, commitment I think we're going to get from Ellie tonight. <laughs> so, um, great. So could we move on to book three, please? Okay, the third influencing book is The House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielski. Mm, please tell me more. House of Leaves. Okay, so um, that is all about a... Um, a filmmaker, video producer who buys a house and while they're doing it... I thought it was me for a second and then no. <laughs> and while they're doing it up, they've got a problem in the fact that the house is three quarters of an inch bigger hmm. on the inside than it is on the outside. Okay. Okay? Yeah. That's how it all starts. Yeah. And then later on they realise that the house on the inside is getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And there's one bit where the hallway um, between two rooms is six and a half minutes to walk down it. Wow. And then 
eventually the house gets so big and they start um they start losing people in the house okay and then there's one bit the the thing i love about it is it's a book where as you go through there are passages so they're going down this um spiral staircase abseiling down the middle and they've just got miles of rope and so the house is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and as it's doing it all the um all the text on the page is yeah. actually having it so you have to turn the book as you go through it okay. it's, it's really and and then all of a sudden it will get to a point and everything's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and all the text is going towards the middle of the page and you've got things like that but it's all that that's the simplest way of doing it but mm. there's there's also these letters um and his video sort of diary and everything mm. are found in this big chest by this other character and you know mm. so so you're sort of seeing it from that viewpoint as well mm. so somebody looking through all these notes and okay. saying you know and again sort of linking back to the other one what is real what isn't yeah uh, you know yeah so and is the house getting... It's just getting bigger on the inside, but not on the outside. Not on the outside, no. Okay. It's okay. the hardest thing out of control. It's the hardest thing out there. There you go. 100%. Okay. You're going to ask me again. <laughs> Are you prompting me to prompt you? No, I'm just like... I'm... What, do you, what do you think I'm going to ask, Ellie? I think you're going to ask me what I think John's book's about. I might have said... like No, that was what I asked. <laughs> yeah. um, you have talked a lot about sort of illusion and I think perception is probably a big part of your writing and playing with the reader's perception making them question what's real and what isn't I think I still think that there's multiple voices in the book and you've mentioned a house a couple of times so maybe there's a a main focal point of a building or or a house or something that's got this I don't know magical force that maybe it's different people have visited this house through different years or different times and different people have lived in it and it's how their stories interweave together maybe they're not in different parts of different worlds um i'm going really like specific but i can't i don't know how to voice what i mean it's like you're not sure what you think it's set in 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 the same house that's Um, what i'm bouncing between whether it's set in the same house and whether it's characters that have frequented this over different years and it's their their different stories and experiences of how this um, magical illusion has affected them or whether it is different people affected by a central centrifugal force <laughs> i think you just wanted to say centrifugal force. <laughs> that's what it Which was it's building also... up all day it's the word of the day yes i think it's is it two words it's surely two words they're not that's even the phrase of the day Phrase of the day. Centrifugal force. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, is there more? I. Don't you die on me. <laughs> <laughs> I still. I'm still going to stick with fiction. I'm still going to stick with that. Um, it certainly doesn't sound like a real life account of a thing that happened. No. Unless. But I just wonder whether, like, the travelling element from your facts at the beginning, whether that's got anything to play sort of in it especially if you've done lots of research into shamanism and and tribes and that's like a whole magic within itself in a way to i mean to the western world anyway you're certainly viewing that kind of thing as as magic um okay can i change my mind 
I still think it's fiction, but can it be about a character or characters who have travelled to a place, to uh, an, an unnamed country, and they've gone to experience, or they've they've come across this building or house uh, in the middle of this land, and strange things start happening to them, and they're meeting other characters along the way who are either staying with them, or are they real, are they not, we don't know. Is it an illusion? Is it a dream? Is it magic? No, you can't have a second guess. Oh. That's what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> the other it. thing I was going to say was stop right there. Why? John, uh, do you want to reveal your full name, uh, the name of your book and what it's about? <laughs> yeah, sure. Who came up with this idea for this podcast? <laughs> Whoever it was was just, you know... Out of their tree? Yeah, well, no, no, no. It's just so difficult. I'm just feeling for for Ellie just standing. I'm going to be so far off, I can tell. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Tell me. My name's John Tarot, and the book is called The Stranger's Guide to Tarriston. It is about a house. Okay. I own what the Sunday Times calls Britain's most extraordinary home. Okay. And uh, it was a 25-year project to take... The UK's most ordinary house, yeah. which was a three-bedroom, semi-detached ex-counts house in Essex, mm-hmm. and transform it into all all the rooms are now into different times and places. I think I've seen something about this because I went there early and told That's you about what it. it was. I hope you've forgotten. <laughs> I did forget. Yeah, clearly. And um, and then when it was finished, because I was always a writer, mm. um, instead of writing how this was done, yeah. I decided to create a story set inside it because it's the way you experience the house is through a labyrinth. Okay. So it's a labyrinth stone at the beginning. Wow. So the the story is about a 13-year-old boy who gets pulled into this labyrinth mm-hmm. and every single chapter is set in a different room or set of rooms, which yep. are all in different places, okay. which you did get. Yeah. And... Um, and he goes to all these different times, and but it's not a time travel book at all, um, because he arrives on really ordinary days that nothing seems to be happening, and only through the book do you start to piece together why he's gone to these different things. But he does meet lots of characters. Yeah. Um, he does it does cross back backwards and forwards through different places, and the 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 link really with um the Lakota Sioux Mm. is that whole idea of um, in a labyrinth you don't lose yourself you find yourself Mm. it's all about finding the centre and so really it's it's a sort of fictionalised version of my journey where I arrived and I couldn't wire a plug okay and then you know an ordinary boy walking into an ordinary house and going on this incredible adventure wow so that's that's the story. Oh, that's amazing. What a cool way to kind of explain that process in a different way to other people as well. Yeah, well, I mean, because it's set, it's set um, for a sort of young adult audience because mm. what I wanted the book to do is fall back in time and for me to get it when I was like 13 Yeah. because nobody had ever done this before. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, basically, in a nutshell, um, Talliston's all about um, me taking the house 
I could have afforded and built yeah. inside it all the houses I wanted to live in. And so that idea of can you do that? What will it look like? Mm-hmm. You know, um, was you know w- was the big leap of faith. And it's really good now going and talking in schools and things where they sort of say, is this real? You know, is what we're seeing real? (laughs) And it's that whole idea that, you know, our dreams aren't something that we just wave a magic wand and they happen, but actually they're possible. You can build them. And and, yeah. 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 World building. Yeah. And I think that um, the, uh, the other thing, it's all about the rules we have in our head as well that stop us achieving things and that's you know the main boy and it has a set of rules and he sort of goes through the story and realizes that you know the the rules like entire universes can change and you can actually change things um so that's yeah that's you can change your own destiny you can change your, your own destiny. yeah that's super cool do you um live there yes i do, do you? yeah okay. i do do you have a favorite room or mm. world or it's a bit like asking you've got to have a favorite yeah. it's like children <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i say is this by the way that's too Ellie, hard to... who with her parents accidentally revealed in a screen grab that her whatsapp group with her mum and dad um is called the favorite child <laughs> she correct. has a brother oh, right. we don't need to talk about him though do we? no because yeah. he's not the favorite child he's no, not the favorite it's not important yeah. enough sorry yeah um yeah, but the, the, I mean that analogy is quite correct for rooms because when you can create, you're not. I started in the office, yeah, uh, which was in the box room, okay. and created my perfect place to write. Okay, and so they all serve a different purpose and yeah. serve different dreams, and yeah. okay. So, um, what's your perfect place to write? By it, the way? it was um, it was a 1929 investigators' office from Very New York. Cool. Okay. So that was all the house was going to be when I started it. Right. But once I sat in that room and wrote in that room, I didn't want to be anywhere else in the house. And then um, I can trace it back to a moment, and that's why moments come in the story quite a lot, um, where my life changed because I had uh, I had a friend sitting in that room, and I was bemoaning the fact that I'd eat my dinner in that room if I could. Yeah. And uh, and she said one line that changed my life, which was, "Oh God, John, why don't you do another room?" And 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 I said, "Well, what room?" Because I hadn't really thought about it. And she pointed through, and said, "Well, that's your bedroom." Why don't you do a perfect night's sleep? And so it was a really interesting way of approaching mm. creating a space, a house that serves a, that serves a yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, and then four years later, I was at the Alhambra Palace in Moorish Spain, and just said, "This is just this amazing night. I'm okay. going to recreate it." And um, and then it went on from there. Wow. And has um, travelling really influenced the types yes, of rooms you've been creating? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because that's what that was my third um, random fact was oh. the fact that, um, and we cut it down slightly, didn't we? Because yeah. it was that the full fact was um, when I was twenty five. So when I started the project, when I bought the house, I hadn't been outside the UK. Okay. Yeah. You know, and Is there then reason for that, by the way, just just never. No, because I I came I came from that sort of um, family where we all went off to Cornwall camping, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we did that fourteen years straight, yeah. and yeah. that's what we did. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a family, sometimes on our own, sometimes with loads of other people, mm. you know, and um, great childhood mm. running around, you know, uh, Cornwall. Yeah, um, and it said yeah, but twenty five years later, I'd travelled to more than thirty countries, mm-hmm. but also 
added to that was uh, I've actually brought over um, or more than like two thousand objects back into the house. Wow. Okay. So, um, but you cut that out. So you thought it was. Better I just not didn't to. know if you would give too much away. Okay. Right. But I wonder if you want to talk about some of the the rooms because also like your perfect night's sleep. But your your room um, is the Scottish bedroom. Is that your main bedroom? No, no, no. I don't. Of, I don't actually dreams? have a. No, I don't have a bedroom now um, because um, you can also sleep in the cabin in the woods, which is nineteen forty eight wow. Canadian log cabin. Um, that even though it's only ten feet from the house because yeah. it's. Um, um, at the back of the building, right. um, but when you're in there, you just feel like you're in the middle of the wilderness, mm. you know. So, so you can sleep there. You can sleep in two of the bedrooms. You can also sleep in the. We have a uh, a bamboo Cambodian tree house in the attic. Cool, very cool. And you can sleep up there. Um, I've so, slept in a bamboo Cambodian tree house. So yeah, that would be yeah. Okay, I, well, I could actually. appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, so again, that whole idea of taking taking a house that mm. was, you know, very, very ordinary yeah. magnolia walls, seventies carpets, you yeah, know, yeah. and actually going on that journey, and it wasn't just me. Yeah, I mean, you know, all these people came together, volunteers, mm. everything, and it just became this amazing community thing. Yeah. And the lovely thing now is, it's in a place called Great Dunmo, which. Um, the main tenet of the book is about things hiding in plain sight mm. because all the you know, I mean, all the greatest sort of fantasy kingdoms, they're not behind great big gold gates. They're mm. inside wardrobes and mm-hmm. they're down rabbit yeah, holes yeah. and stuff like that. They're very yeah. ordinary. And that goes right the way back to sort of Celtic myths and everything where you always found the, you know, fairyland was just through a cave mm. or something. It wasn't, you know, you didn't go yeah, on. Yeah, you didn't. Special sort of Special door. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that was behind waterfalls and things yeah. like that. And um, from the outside because um, Mark's been there yeah. so from the yeah. outside it does look fairly ordinary the garden has been um, I think I think it does like the garden sort of gives away that there is something a bit Special. magical here because yeah. you've got the um, the what you got the stone standing stone the yeah because it's got stone. the labyrinth on the back okay. yeah. which is the the labyrinth that yeah. you know, but, goes through but when you look at the house itself yeah, it doesn't look any different to any of the other houses in that neighbourhood. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And there's a gate that you can see through a bit secret garden. Mm-hmm. And there's a great big hornbeam hedge around it. So in the summer, you cannot see the house, only through the gate. Okay. So again, it's, it, it, you know, it, it is quite interesting when people come and visit and mm. they're just driving around, just expecting it to be totally yeah, yeah. obvious. Yeah. And... Uh, and I, I like that because the, when the boy goes to the house, um, he actually goes to um, a sort of boarded up mm-hmm. ex-council house sort of thing. That's what it looks like in his time. Yeah. And um, uh, and then then steps into it. So he goes into the ordinary house. Right. And, and that's when, and it, that. when it all switches. Okay. So. And were you always a writer? Did that come first, or was it was it the house that then inspired the writing, or how? No, I've always written um, okay. ever since I was really, really young, yeah. and um, and that's why my first room in the house was somewhere to write because I always shared a room with a brother. Okay. And it was, I mean, we live in a world now where you can go 
off to a coffee shop and they encourage you to sit there with your yeah. laptop. You know, yeah. I didn't grow up in that world. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as soon as you finished your coffee, that was like, right, can you go mm. now? You know, yeah. <laughs> you're not encouraged to sit there. Um, and and also you didn't have, you know, you couldn't take your typewriter or whatever. Mm. You know, I, I started, uh, when I, you know, when I started writing, I, you know, it was an old Smith Corona typewriter, you know. It wasn't until I got to... Uh, secondary school that computers were sort of you know the thing to yeah. to use um so so again i think that uh, that was why that room was always my perfect place to write mm. because it was what i dreamt of mm-hmm. and i hadn't been to new york but i had a great love of 1920s sort of 1930s mm. sort of noir films and i was watching a film called somewhere in the night and on that there was a little office you know on those um places where you get an office where everybody had an office yeah you've got the little thing on the door yeah you got the thing on the door and then next to it would be another reeded door with another name on it and it would be a and i thought i could do that Mm. you know in that box room i could Mm -hmm. do that um and um and again that you know that that and i didn't go to new york till about five years later okay you know most of the stuff was sourced the desk and all the bits and pieces could have I got here because yeah. we get lots of stuff around London, so. I suppose that's quite a nice way to do it as well because when you're reading and you build up a world in your head and then you see something in a film and it's slightly different I always think about um, Harry Potter reading the books and then seeing the film and mm. how things were different and you almost forget that kind of world you've built in your own yeah. head Yeah. and I wonder if that's like the best way to do it you've built something that your kind of ideal dream is and it hasn't been tarnished by to, so to speak if you know what I mean yeah, so it is it's yeah. still your well, perfect I think that people always say to me should you see the house or read the book okay. because the two are now inseparable okay yeah. because if you go into the the investigator's office it doesn't mention in the book what is on the desk mm. it just says there's a typewriter and things but if you go to the house and you've read the book you can actually read the letter that he was typing and things like that so so again it's almost like dvd extras yeah that you go to the house and (laughs) the real behind the scenes yeah because because like you said about you know the it's not a universal or you know warner brothers production company that Mm -hmm. have come up with your idea the 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 house was created um and then the book was written inside the house and the way that i did it was i mean there's one scene in the main living room which is a a welsh tower 13th century welsh tower that's been mm-hmm. taken over by the victorians as a midwinter retreat and the boys in that and there's people coming towards him and he's got to protect the housekeeper and i sort of just looked around the room and said well what would you pick up okay and that's how you've objects literally got it around you've actually you got it around you, you. the and, biggest inspiration yeah and the other thing is in the kitchen which is uh, 1954 new orleans um the um i actually got i didn't have a 13 year old boy yeah i didn't know anybody who had a son who was 13 but we had a 12 year old boy and the whole scene where he gets up onto the shelf to get the palmistry hand off the thing that was all acted out because i i had to work you know i had to work with a a, a person like because a i'm thinking yeah because you're thinking thing. well somebody's going to stand in this kitchen and say oh i wouldn't have done that okay. i would have got there or or he yeah. could have reached <laughs> that this or, is the most intense method kind of <laughs> way of working I've ever come across. 
Yeah. Amazing. It's like, well, wow. how am I going to imagine my fantasy world? Oh, I will build, build a whole house. <laughs> build it. <laughs> I didn't set out. I, it was only because we have a writer's circle that meet there. Yeah. And um, we were doing a bit of a sort of, um, uh, a bit of a sort of Dragon's Den thing. Because right. one of our writers was going off to um, pitch to an agent and had got this meeting and was absolutely terrified. And so what we did was we sat on the sofas and sort of pitched books to each other just to, okay. you know, and I wasn't writing a book at the time. And um, it it was one of those things that it was like hiding in plain sight. It was yeah, like yeah, obvious yeah. Well, once you said it. Yeah. And then, but I wasn't going to. And I've, I've written other things, obviously. Um, but it was really funny because when they say write what you know, usually fantasy is really difficult mm. because, of course, you know, and that's why things like um, Lord of the Rings is so good because he'd studied mm. all of those languages and yeah. myths and everything. Yeah. So it was yeah. what he knew, basically. Mm. It was just his retelling of it. I have to, yeah, I, I have to add, having, I wrote an article on this for uh, uh, Boundless mm-hmm. um, a while ago about fantasy and this exact idea of like well write what you know and but fantasy is all just made up and about how um my own book the boy who stole time is essentially a uh, lots of the details from that and this fantastic world that he goes to are based on spending time in the sahara mm. in morocco and making that so magical and like mm. The description of things like this never having heard silence like it mm. where suddenly you feel like you've gone deaf and you move slightly and just the movement of your clothes suddenly sort of makes you jump and even weird things in that book like you have the black tower um which is this a uh, gigantic palace made of people standing on top of each other this living organic thing that people love and is feel is very frightening kind of image is based on a nature documentary where ants do this they form these gigantic towers of black ants and there are a lot of things in that book where i sort of hide little things in there that are completely real things there's somebody who makes a picture of um the i think it's the picture of the black palace um, using a magnifying glass, burning it with the sun on a piece of wood. I saw this in Ait Ben Hadou in Morocco and I bought the picture. I've got a photo of it being made and I gave it to my mum. And oh, there are always okay, weird yeah. things that you think mm. are just made up. Yeah. But I like to mix things like that in with real in magic. There. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's like in all of the, the story. It, you know, obviously I did loads of research because trying to make the house feel as as real as possible when you go into the different areas um so the smells the sounds everything just to create that perfect moment to just sit there um you know the kitchen is uh you know where's your perfect sunday morning breakfast and just to sit there and listen to the jazz and have the coffee and everything it just really is and it's all working to create that that little moment um but, uh, Did you yeah. create another six kitchens for your perfect Monday to a Saturday <laughs> breakfasts? Yes, yeah. Well, we've got plenty of rooms to, you know, go and have breakfast in. Um, but, the um, House of Seven Kitchens. There we go. Yeah. The sequel. Yeah. But, um, but the, the, you know, again, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You learn a lot about yourself mm. when you free yourself from where you actually live mm. and say, where would I live? 
um, because um, you know the the you know things like the cabin or there's um, the conservatory is a Japanese tea room, and they're they they're really reflections of my deadline oriented life and and where I've been working with clients and this is why the you know the IT thing came in, um, because um, for all of that. Um, there's lots of rooms where you can just go and relax yeah. and just be in them. And um, I'm quite lucky that I, I grew up in that digital world because everybody says, they look on in the investigator's office and say, where are all your books? And I go, they're on my laptop. Okay, where's all your CD collection? You know, Where's all your stuff, your real stuff? And I said, well, you're looking at it. But all my books, all my uh, films, everything, they're all on a laptop. Yeah. I don't have a television on my laptop you know so so again it's really lovely that you can have one piece of technology mm. in all of this non-technology house yeah and and it doesn't you know you go to it it doesn't where, impede on everything yeah. Else in there. yeah so um so in the office i've got this great big typewriter but it just pushes back on the desk and then you just put your laptop there okay. so the rest of the room doesn't have to be you know you don't have to sit there with a great big you know computer that's yeah gonna, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ruin, ruin the effect. Yeah, and is it still your ideal place to write? It is. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I, it's still the place. I mean, you asked before about favorite rooms. I think that's my sort of. That's the heart of the house. That's where oh. I go to. If yeah. if I gravitate, I go to that room. Um, and it was the first room, but it's still, it's still that room that I feel the most comfortable in and the most you know well, i guess it created all the other rooms it cre- yeah as well, in a way yeah. yeah 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 because it is the, the the place where i've done all the research and, yeah. and everything um but actually the the one that i'm most proud of i think is the scottish edwardian room uh it's uh, in a big manor on the cliffs in scotland and it was so complicated to do mm. and just the feeling of it when you step in there it's just like stepping onto the set of Woman in Black. Okay. I mean, it's just got that feel that something's going to jump out on you at any moment. <laughs> but it's just, there you know, There isn't anything. It's nothing yeah. Halloween-y or anything like just that. The, but it's just the feel yeah, the of it. Mm. Yeah, so. Wow. You'd love it. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. can see you spending <laughs> a night in this totally black room. <laughs> just thinking, brilliant. My emotions can't even get in. Exactly. Ideal. Um, <laughs> fantastic. So, John, we would love to hear a, um extract from The Stranger's Guide to Tulsa. Okay. Well, I'm just going to do the opening of the book um, because it introduces the main character and, uh, and his rules. Great. The boy lived all alone in an old abandoned school bus in the middle of a wooded roundabout. His father had once called it the magic roundabout, but the boy didn't know why. He wanted to believe in magic, just like his mother, but if magic did exist... It certainly didn't exist anywhere around here. The boy's name was Joseph, but everyone called him Joe. Everyone meant his father and mother, and the strangers that offered them sanctuary on the road. For as long as he could remember, Joe's parents had been on the run. Thomas and Laverna Darking never stayed anywhere for very long, and everywhere they did, they found a safe house where they could lie low in emergencies. The bus was one of those places, and where Joe had gone on the night he and his parents were attacked. The roundabout was large and densely packed with trees so tall that travellers to the M11 motorway or Stansted Airport or the nearby villages and towns never knew the boy and the bus were there at all. 
Like the wood, the bus was there long before the overpass, the roads and the tarmac that surrounded it, and now both the trees and the vehicle were intertwined. His father said the bus was hiding in plain sight, and the boy knew everything there was to know about that. He spent every day hiding in plain sight. On the night of the attack, his father's last words to him were, Go, son, run. Go to the hideout and never look back. We'll get there when we can. Joe had done as he said, and he hadn't seen them since. Joe spent every night fearing his parents would never come back for him, and every day Joe spent following the rules. To keep him safe, his father had made his son memorise a whole heap of do's and don'ts. They weren't the usual things like always eat at the table and don't jump on the sofas. It was strange stuff like formulate contingency escape routes and if it howls, feed it. (laughs) Over time, Joe had simplified that list and now it looked like this. Rule one. Nowhere is safe. Rule two, always have a way out. Rule three, be invisible. Rule four, don't make friends. Rule five, do not talk to dead people. (laughs) So you know all the rules now, I do know all the rules and I will apply them in my daily life. (laughs) (laughs) Don't stop making friends. Yes. Stop. Oh, that was wonderful. Thank you for reading no, 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 a bit great. of that. Just, well, just again, that that opening really just before the boy gets sort of led mm. into that world. But um, I was always taught when I was writing that the landscape of your main character and the uh, the inner landscape of your character should should be shared, yeah. you know, in that story. So again, that abandoned bus and... And him being abandoned and, and just that whole setting him up to be yeah. the boy that is going to be hiding in plain sight and yeah. led to the house. You know, you know, it's always difficult when you've got a character that you need the character when it gets to the bit where they have to do the thing. Mm-hmm. It can't be any other character no, it who does the thing. It can only yeah. be them. Yeah. And, and I think that that's where a lot of people, you get to that point and go, well... That could have been actually somebody else who could have done that. Yeah, uh, you know, and it's mm. it's always nice to have those characters where you think, no, it could only that person. Mm. He he has the unique skill to be able to do that thing. Yeah, yeah. amazing. There you go. Wonderful. I liked that a lot. That was a really good insight into yeah. And I can also see with your fact about um, the magician picking the other yes. character because he was the only one that could he was the only one yeah that. yeah and I, I think I think that the the facts really come into that I had were really about you know again the travel all the places you know again all of that feeds into the book as well um, because every chapter is set in a different time and place so yeah. you get a real you know it was lovely to write because. You, you had to, you had different voices. You had to do research into how people spoke in the different times yeah. and things. So uh, you know, it, it really does. You start a new chapter and you really get a new flavour, mm. um, a new world, a new world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got the boy weaving through, weaving all the way through it. Amazing, Lots of weaving. Brilliant. Well, John, thank you so much thank for coming in. No, 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 that's great. No, no, no. And whoever did come up with the idea for this podcast was very cruel. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, my cruel housemate. Yes, yes. correct. Um, watching, great. watching you try and get those things <laughs> and not be able to say anything is so... Oh, God, I'm glad you were so... in pain too. Yes, I'm glad it's I not was. just me suffering in this. 
How was that, Ellie? That was great. I mean, my mind was a little bit all over the place, but I think there were some some good things I'd latched onto there. Also, what an interesting man. Mm, with an interesting house. With an interesting house. And what I think is great is it's looking at... So you know how the podcast looks at people first and kind of like what influences them and then we go into their book. It's almost switching up the writing style in a way as well and going, okay, well, I'm going to start with building my world around me and then going into writing my story off the back of that. It's it's subverting everything. I think it was a really cool um, book to have as part of the podcast. That's very cool. That was very cool. And I would, when we are allowed to go to places a bit more, hope that we both get to visit the house. I it's, hope so. It's so cool to hang around. Also, yeah, I can't wait to hang in that uh, room that you proposed, which is all black to reflect my soul. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, and we should probably say quickly that um, John Tarot's Stranger's Guide to Taliesin is um, out in all good bookshops and all good internet places where you buy books. Mm-hmm. So go out there and nab yourself a copy. And visit the house. You've been listening to Poking Books with Ellie Harris and Mark Bowsher. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Both of them are just at Poking Books. No hashtags, no underscores, just simply at Poking Books. You can also listen to the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash Poking Books. Or wherever you get your podcasts from. And remember, if you do enjoy the podcast, please subscribe because it means more people will find us and listen to us. You've been listening to a Rabbit Island podcast and do tune in for the next episode very soon. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.